Um, okay, great. So we move on to our next paper. Um, so I'd like to now invite uh, Professor Rory O'Higgins from the School of Celtic Studies at the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies to speak about the Lower Brack, Connacht and Cialloc. Thank you. Um, thank you, um, uh, Barbara. So in approaching the study of any manuscript of the medieval period, we can do worse than to draw on the familiar exegetical formula of the four things to be asked of any book, namely place, time, person, and reason for writing. This very formula is employed by the author of Ashley Vakundlene, a text contained in her manuscript, and while its author proceeds to provide the readers with answers to the four questions posed, uh, many of our medieval manuscripts are far less forthcoming. On Liaud Brach, however, is not quite as deficient in this respect, although it still presents problems and poses many questions, some of which I'll attempt to address today. From references to events in scribal notes and marginalia, we can ascertain that the manuscript, now incomplete, was being written between 1408 and 1411, handout one. Writing may have commenced before 1408 and possibly continued after 1411. With regard to place, references made to various locations in South Galway, Northern Tipperary and Offaly, uh, uh, handout, uh, handout one as well, but the scribe may also have visited other locations which he doesn't mention. As Muscrietside, the baronies of Upper and Lower Ormond and Tipperary, is mentioned in a number of occasions, it has been assumed that the greater part of the work was carried out here, most likely in the law school run by the Mac family at a place called Cloan unidentified, but probably to the north of Laura, and possibly identical with Ballymageegan. Unfortunately, as the book is now arranged, the order of the manuscript choirs is not original, so it is difficult to associate any of the places of writing mentioned with a date. Tom Terhorst has addressed this problem and has attempted to ascertain the original arrangement, and we revert to this presently. With regard to its later history, we can place it in the second half of the 16th century in the Machaegon Law School in, of Dun Daire in the Barony of Leitrim in South County Galway. Sorry, I should side forward. Uh, this is the area uh, of the book. We have a number of entries uh, in the margins of the manuscript uh, that date from that time and refer to this location. In 1639, Michal O'Clare copied material from it when it was in the Franciscan friary of Kenlechen nearby, and appears to have remained there to at least the end of that century. While its single scribe was formerly held to be a member of the Machaegon family, the researches of Thomas O'Concannon has since identified him as a certain Murcha Rievov O'Kindlish, a scribe who flourished at the end of the 14th and early 15th century. A member of a relatively obscure family, O'Kindlish hailed from Balak Dakar, in the barony of Killian in the northeast of County Galway. O'Kindlish is elsewhere known from his collaborative work with the famous Mayo scribe or scholar Gilleisa Mac Irvishi on the Great Book of Lecan, which apparently was carried out in 1397. Two years later, he wrote a section of what now forms the composite manuscript known as the Yellow Book of Lecan, uh, which also contains a section on which Gilleisa worked. To O'Kundlish, furthermore, is attributed on Laurua Muinach, a manuscript no longer in existence, but one from which Michal O'Clare was able to tr transcribe devotional material in the 17th century, handout three. From references made to other midland locations in which he worked on the Laur Brach, 
we can infer that he visited these centres for the purposes of copying material held in them. And indeed, in an entry made at Clonsass, County Offaly, he gives us to understand that it was this very purpose that brought him there, handout four. And I'm grateful, by the way, to my colleague Liam Bidanoch for providing me with revised, the revised marginalia he currently is compiling. The last of our four questions, the causa scribendi, is frequently the most difficult to ascertain. But noting the profusion of religious texts it contains, especially items such as the tract on the colours of the chasuble, the table of ecclesiastical duties, or the tract on the mass, it would not be unreasonable to conclude with O'Concannon that Laudbrach was intended for a cleric or for a religious community. The nature of the, this religious matter is multifarious and ranges from hagiography to clerical rules, a martyrology, items of biblical history, and other religious tracts. But by far the most prominent is a large collection of passions and homilies in both Latin and early Irish that distinguish it. It is the presence of these more than anything else that leads to the assumption that the Leodbrach had a practical function, a resource book for the preacher, as has been suggested. In his discussion of the materials used by late medieval uh, preaching friars, Coleman O'Quabe includes, and I quote, treatise, treatises on the Ars Predicandi, editions of model sermons, and collections of exemplar or moral tales that were incorporated into sermons to illustrate points and maintain interest. Other resources included encyclopedias, biblical commentaries, concordances, and florilegia, containing excerpts from the scriptures and patristic and classical authors. Combined, these resources provide the preacher with a wealth of, wealth of entertaining references and lent an air of erudition to his efforts." End quote. This covers much of the material in the Leobrach, and if it served this purpose, the book accordingly would most likely have been used by a cleric who would have taken material from it for the compilation of a personal and portable vade mecum to be used in his church or to, bro to be brought with him on a circuit. Written in Middle, Middle Irish and Latin, or Early Irish and Latin, the material from Laudbrach would hardly have been used as it is, unless we're talking about a highly educated and Latinate congregation, but more likely have served as a model or a resource on which sermon, sermons could be based. Now, another genre reasonably well represented in the Laudbrach is hagiography. The Codex contains lives of the three most prominent Irish saints, Patrick, Bridget, and Colum Kille, together with genealogical and other ancillary material concerning them. But there is a fourth Irish saint whose life is entered in the book. This is Saint Cialach of Killala, County Mayo. Given that Cialach belongs to the ranks of the more obscure Irish saints, the presence of his life in a compilation such as this is worthy of note, and its inclusion there may have something to tell us about the background to our book and its patron. Most of the information we have about this saint comes from his vita, known variously as Beha or as Kaharan Kala. This is found in several manuscripts and has been a subject of a number of studies. Uh, two versions have been dis distinguished. Version one is found in the Laudbrach, and from this manuscript, an abbreviated version in the hand of Michal Oclera survives in a 17th century uh, Brussels manuscript. This version has been dated to the 12th century. The second version is found in the Yellow Book of Lecan and in the Liber Flavus Fergosiorum, the first dating from the end of the 14th century and the second from around 1440. This is simply a modernised copy of the first version, 
with very little other change and has been dated to the 14th century. Uh, information about these editions and translations and analysis are given in your handout number five and in the uh, bibliography at the end. In brief, this story relates how Calloch, a clerical student of St. Ciaran in Clonbeck-Noise, was made king of the Iachroch of northern Mayo uh, on the death of his father, Owen Bale. As Calloch had not asked his tutor's permission to abandon his clerical studies, St. Ciaran cursed him. Calloch's tenure of the kingship was none too happy for a kinsman, King Guida, of the Iachach Aina, a branch of the people based in South Galway, opposed him and he was forced to abandon the uh, kingship. Uh, slide five, uh, the northern and southern Iachach uh, uh, given there. Returning eventually to Clonmac Noise, he sought and was given Ciaran's forgiveness. But Ciaran informed him that he was powerless to revoke the, the curse he previously had laid. Calloch resumed his clerical duties with great fervour was ordained, and such was his excellence as a priest that he was elevated to the bishopric of Kilala. Once again, however, Guida instigated strife against him, fearing that Calloch's younger brother, Muridoch, might rise to kingship under Calloch's tutelage, and Calloch abandoned his office to become a hermit. This time, however, Guida had arranged that the four companions who accompanied him would murder him. His younger brother, Muridach, assumed the kingship, despite uh, Guida, and avenged Calloch on his murderers. The tale concludes rather unsatisfactorily with an account of how Muridach acquired an alternative name, Kukungelt, and of his love's affair with Gelgesh, the daughter of Guida. But it has long been recognised that this account suffers from serious historical shortcomings, not least of which is a number of anachronisms. Several of its actors were not contemporaries, Owen Bale, the father, of, uh, the, the, the father of, of Calloch, lived in the 6th century, Guida a century later. Other figures known from the historical record are also non-contemporary with, with each other. The characterization of Guida, moreover, is singular. Normally portrayed in the body of legend that has grown up around him as an affable and generous king, he here is presented as a sinister and malevolent figure who involves himself in the affairs of the northern Iachach, bringing about the deposition of their king and subsequently the murder of their bishop. Kathleen Mulcrone assumed the tale was based on the traditional lore of the Iachach Muya, the northern Iachach, and while accepting it has a historical foundation, suggests that the chronological confusion was due to its faulty transmission in popular culture, or Schkelech Nanine, as she calls it. Maura Herbert's study re reveals different la layers of complexity to the tale that also bring in uh, a Clonmac noise dimension. Such matters, however, have to do with the 12th century context of the life. We are more concerned with the early 15th century and why this text has made its way into our manuscript. But there are two points we should bear in mind. Firstly, the author of the text, the original text, had an intimate knowledge of North Mayo and was quite likely a native. Second, in his portrayal of Guida, he is also disparaging of the southern Iachach of Aina, many of whom claimed descent uh, from this king and were known as Kenel Mueda. In this aspect of the narrative, Francis John Byrne detected in the text a genuine memory of a feud between the northern and southern branches of the Iachach, and it can certainly be seen as a piece of propaganda on behalf of the northern Iachach, written probably by somebody from their ranks. But what else do we know about St. Calloch? Outside of his vita, very little. 
He has tentatively been identified with a Saint Calon mentioned in the martyrology of Tala, Calon being taken as a variant of the name Caloc, a feast day celebration the 1st of May, handout number 6. He apparently is also commemorated in the um, place name Kilkiala, uh, Kilkelly, in the barony of Costello, County Mayo, handout number 7. Donald Macula Aspic, however, has drawn our attention to another place name, Dishard Kelly, or Iser Kelly, in the barony of Loch Ray, County Galway, in which the name of the saint is also, uh, is also uh, preserved. Um, um, Iser Kelly in the barony of Loch Ray. Uh, the civil parish has a, north, a northern and southern part. And the use of the, the term Dishard in the place name, Latin desertum, uh, uh, points to it being a very early uh, foundation. Iser Kelly was a place of some significance, where the annals of the Four Masters record its burning in 1179. Dishard Kelly would formerly have been part of the territory of Iiachuch Aina, the southern branch of this people. Makyula Aspig has furthermore pointed to the prominence of the surname Kilkelly, or Makilkelly, that is Makyula Kelly, devotee of St. Calloch, in this area in the 17th century, Book of Survey and Distribution. And although it nowadays has been absorbed to a great degree in the more common surname Kelly, the older form still endures in South Galway. And an examination of the 1911 census, for instance, shows them centred around uh, Kinvara. Following Macula Aspig's lead, we'll find further evidence for the cult of the saint in South County Galway. The early genealogical tracts have a single instance of the name Gilla Kelly, devotee of Kelloch, who heads the pedigrees of the Iiachach of Aina. This Gilla Kelly, son of Covelton, was killed in 1003, as both the Eucleric genealogies and the annals of the Four Masters note, handout 8a. The Eucleric genealogies cast this figure as the eponymous ancestor of the family, 8b, and further examination of the ge genealogies show, shows, a shows a number of other instances of the name among the southern branch of the E. Eichroch, a handout C, uh, 8C to E. The Annals of Boyle note the death of a Rhinal, son of Gilakalic O'Ruin, in 1177, while the four masters record for 1203 the death of another Gilakali O'Ruin, Bishop of Kilmacduach, AD. And then for 1253, the death of yet another bishop bearing the identical name, 8E. This third Gilakali, however, is referred to as the Bishop of E. Iachruch, and the fact that his successor was ordained in Kelala, County Mayo, points to him having an association with the northern branch of this people. The Oclery genealogies, in fact, present a second pedigree for a northern Macula family to whom the Oruin are assigned handout 8F. So this points to an, the existence of an ecclesiastical family of the northern Iiachruch who serve both branches of the people. While we have evidence for the cult of St. Calloch among the Iiachruch, especially on their southern branch, his subsequent slide into relative obscurity can probably be attributed to their adoption of another saint, St. Machduach, from whom the medieval diocese of Kilmachduach was named. Kilmachduach was coextensive with a territory held by the Iiachruch in the district known as Aina and took in parts of the baronies of Dunkellen and Loch Ray 
all in South County Galway, encompassing both Dieter Kelly and the nearby Kilchrist. Leaving Kelly for a moment, let us now return to the Leodbrack and what we know about its compilation. The Royal Irish Academy's catalogue description holds that the Mac, the, the Mac Aegon family were the original owners of the book and was moved from their centre at Cluan La, uh, to that of Dundaira before being moved to Kinel Ehin at the beginning of the 17th century when the old order was broken up. That's a quote. However, the catalogue description of the Laudbrack was written before O'Concannon's important 1973 paper about his scribe appeared. And this coupled with a reconsideration of the known facts of the book and some further evidence leads me to suggest quite a different scenario. An immediate question that arises is what relationship O'Quindlish had to the MacAgon in whose centre at Cloyne-Lahan part of the Leodbrack was written. By the time he had commenced his work, we can assume he was already a trained scribe, having served his, having served his apprenticeship with his Idia Gil Isamach Edivisha a decade previously. Was he present at Cloyne Lahan simply to copy material from the manuscript holdings, or did he have some formal affiliation to them? The fact that Liaud Brack was in the position, possession of the MacAgon well over a century after, after the time it was written has been taken to suggest the latter. That is, that Murcha O'Quinlish compiled the book for them and possibly was in their employ. <clears throat> Consideration of scribal marginalia raised a number of questions. Murcha's marginal comments show deep, show, show deep engagement with the texts of the Laud Brack. They're also marked by devoutness. Many of the marginal verses he enters are of a moralizing nature. One might even suggest he was a cleric, but this need not be the case. The comments entered later at Dundaira, presumably by the MacAgon family, do not show the same degree of engagement with the texts. Crucially, they all appear to be much later. The earliest one we can date is of the year 1544, and begs the question of where the book was kept between the time Murcha completed it and the date of the earliest MacAgon entries, a period of some 130 years. No marginal note, as far as I know, connects it with Cluan Lahan after O'Quinlish had completed his work. As the nature of its contents strongly suggest, Leodbrack was intended for an ecclesiastic or for an ecclesiastical setting. Its compilation might then be seen as an act of endowment and akin to the donation of altar plate, vestments, croziers, crosses, or other items of religious art that were presented to ecclesiastical foundations throughout the later Middle Ages by their lordly patrons. It would not have been an insubstantial gift for it had been compiled over a period of at least three years and eventually and, and evidently occasioned the visit by O'Cunlish to various different locations to copy material. So at whose behest was it compiled and for whom might it have been intended? Uh, an obvious candidate here would be the Carmelite Friary of Loch Ray, founded by Richard de Burgo in 1300, or perhaps the Dominican house at Atenray, but references from the 17th century may nudge us in a slightly different direction. As we've noted, Michal O'Clare copied material from the Laudbrack in October 1629 and gives the place of copying 
uh, as the convent of Kinel Ehin, handout nine. Originally a Carthusian foundation, the monastery of Kinelehen in the barony of Leitrim, southeast County Galway, was established in the middle of the 13th century, but abandoned about a century later. However, it was re-established circa 1371 as a convent of the Franciscan friars under the patronage of Richard Og of Bourke, Lord of Clan Richard. In the year 1400, Pope Boniface IX granted an indulgence to penitents who contributed alms towards its upkeep and preservation. And Harbison is of the opinion that some of the buildings of the friary would be in keeping with the 15th century date of building. Yvonne McDermott has furthermore pointed out that the remains of what once was a preaching nave has been identified on the site. But this Franciscan foundation was suppressed in 1540 as part of King Henry's dissolution of monasteries and the buildings were destroyed shortly thereafter. The lands, however, were bought back from the Crown by the Clan Rickard Burks and who retained them for the Franciscans. And in 1611, it was yet again established as a house of the observant Franciscan friars who occupied it from 1615 and under whose regime O'Claire had visited us. Now, the monastery of Kinalachan, which was established and enjoyed the patronage of the Clan Rickard Burks, lies about a mile to the south of Dundaira, centre of the McEagan Law School, who were lawyers to the self-same Burks. Uh, here is the uh, picture of the, uh, of, the, of the remains. And it's interesting to note that the entries made to Ljaudbrak at Dundaira seem to commence in the early 1540s, for this was precisely the time at which the neighbouring foundation of Kinalachan had been dissolved and lay in ruins. Apart from the work carried out uh, by O'Quinlish in Tipperary and Offaly, we now have three locations in South Galway that can be linked to our manuscript. Loch Ray, Dundaira, where it was in the second half of the 16th century, and Kinelechin, or Kinelechin, where it was in the 17th century. What links all of these locations is an association with the Lords of Clan Rickard, the dominant power in South Connacht. Here, here uh, the, uh, the distances are given if one travels by crow. Uh, so you see Loch Ray, Isar Kelly, Dundaira, and Kinalehin, and about 20 miles to the east is Cloon uh, uh, Lam. <clears throat> In his reassessment of the order of the choirs of the Loud Brach, Tom Terhorst has suggested that choir A comprising pages 1 to 74 of the book as now constituted, was in fact one of the last to be written. It is in this section that we have the marginal allusions to Loch Ray, written most probably in Loch Ray Castle, overlooking the lake. If this is correct, the book may have been completed there. South Galway and the area around Loch Ray, of course, is where also the cult of St. Cal was centred. This was the old kingdom of Ina, home of the um, southern Eochrach, who by this time had been eclipsed by the Anglo-Norman de Burgos. Now, I doubt if any of the prominent families of the Eochrach in the south would have found this particular life of Calloch to their liking, for however much the life glorifies the saint, it does so at the cost of Gwera, ancestor of the Kenel Nuera, who was cast in a thoroughly bad light. For that reason, 
it is also improbable, improbable that O'Quinlish acquired a copy of the life here for inclusion in the Leo Brach. As we've seen, uh, this text, the life of St. Calloch, most likely originated in the northern Iyachra, and it's not unlikely that O'Quinlish had encountered it during his sojourn there when he'd worked there a decade or so earlier as an assistant and trainee to Gilla Isa Mac Irvishe, the preeminent Iyachra scholar and historian. The version of Karim Kella in the Yellow Book of Lekin is in Gila Issa's hand, and he may indeed have been responsible for the modernizing of the text. This is most likely, um, this is most likely the manner uh, in which O'Quinlish came to possess the copy of the tale, which he subsequently entered into the Liaud Brach. Several other texts that are in the Liaud Brach are also found in manuscript with North Connacht associations, uh, the Yellow Book of Lekin or the Liber Flavus Fergusiorum. Either he transcribed them at that time when he was there, or was facilitated later in doing so through the Mach Aegon network. The inclusion of this life of Calloch and the Leodbrach uh, may have been a gesture to place and patron. The patron would have been one who held St. Calloch in esteem, had an interest in traditions associated, but did not have an ancestral connection with Gueda, a figure so negatively portrayed in the life. A patron, moreover, who would have had the wherewithal to finance the compilation of Leodbrach. Such a person would not have been found among the southern Iyachrach, but in the ranks of those who had eclipsed them, namely the Clan Rickard Burks. One of the most powerful of the Anglo-Norman families in Ireland, and certainly the most significant in Connacht, the Burks left their mark on the landscape, not only through the construction of fortifications and towns, but also by their patronage of the church, through which many religious foundations were established. Their largesse extended to the endowment of artefacts and works of art to the church, and they became patrons of Irish literature, as witnessed the late 16th century Shanachas Burkoch and the survival of about 40 bardic poems to members of the house dating from the 13th to the 17th centuries. An early ancestor, Richard de Bourque, had founded the town of Loch Ray, where he built his castle in 1236, and interestingly, had sighted another castle at Clohan, three miles to the west of the town in Kilchrist, which forms part of the civil parish of Iser Kelly. However, a schism in the Burke family resulted in two factions emerging, the MacWilliam Burks in Mayo and the Clan Rickard House in Galway. Their later medieval history is marked by internecine strife between the two Burke lordships. At the time the book was compiled, Ilya Gaborka, also known as Ilya Gniana, was Lord of Clan Rickard. In his long and eventful reign from 1387 until his death in 1424, he was a significant figure on the political landscape, a handout 10. And he's once referenced in the Leod Brach, where a marginal note by O'Quinlish on page 95 refers to the Archbishop of Cashel being released through his agency, having been captured by the Ikineda of Ormond, handout 11a. A second and earlier reference by O'Quinlish, dating from 1399, is found in the Yellow Book of Lekin, in the course of a lengthy colophon, in which he mentions, among other things, the dethronement of Richard II, uh, 14, uh, 1399. He also comments that Galway had been captured by Illigabork, uh, handout 11b. Like others of his family, 
Ilog had adopted Gaelic ways and similarly was a patron of Gaelic, lit uh, Gaelic culture. One person who benefited from his patronage was the celebrated poet Pygog O'Higgin, who composed an elegy on Ilog following his death in 1424. The poem opens with the customary lament for the loss of a great ruler, the sadness felt by both the poet and the patron's family, here referred to as Tzaylach Lochariach, the household of Lochray. He then proceeds to enumerate his various achievements on the battlefield. And in the concluding section, the poet alludes to the fact that his grief will no longer allow him to visit places he associated with his departed patron. In Quatrain 41, he references, he references two of these, Loch Rey and Dundaira, both of which have strong links with our book. As for the sincerity of these comments, we note that both places are also referenced in a later composition by Tyagog. This was composed sometime between 1440 and 1448, the date of the poet's death, in honour of Eamon Nefesoga Burk of the northern MacWilliamburgs, who was MacWilliam Iachthar, Lord of his name, from 1440 until 1458. Praising his martial career, Tygog alludes to a raid his patron made on his southern cousins, the Clan Rickards. In the course of the poem, mention is made of the destruction he wrought on two sites associated with them, once again, Loch Ray and Dundaira, handout uh, 13. Reference to Dundaira as a place associated with the Clan Rickards is of note, and may suggest that it contained more than the Machaegon Law School and Castle. The Burks may have had a second stronghold there. So gathering all of this together and putting my head on the block, I'd suggest the following tentative scenario. The Leodbrach was an endowment, most likely commissioned by Ilog and Yenna Burke, either directly from Murcha or Quinlish, or through the agency of the MacAagon, who would have acted as facilitators. The most likely recipients would have been Franciscans at, at Kinalechen, a foundation his father had gifted to the order a few decades prior to the compilation of Leobrach, a foundation that enjoyed his support and one that clearly was of some importance. Distinguished as preachers, the friars would have found in the Leobrach a wealth of material suitable for their purposes. The text, a text included uh, about a saint venerated in the area, may be seen as a, gent a gesture to the patron and to local tradition. Uh, setting himself the task of collecting material to copy the book, he moved to Mosfritzide, less than 40 kilometres to the east of, uh, of, of, uh, of Loch Ray, where he worked further in the book and visited other midland centres for the purposes of copying material of interest to him. The work may possibly have been finished at Loch Ray Castle and was then donated to the Franciscans at Kinalechen. It remained with the Franciscans until the suppression of their house in 1540, following which it was moved to the adjacent school uh, adjacent law school at Dundaira, probably for safe, safekeeping. We note in passing the close association the Mac Aegon family appear to have had with the Franciscans, for several of their number are counted as members of the order in the 15th century and later. While the book was there, members of that family wrote personal notes and marginalia into it, and from this surgeon, uh, sojourn in, in Dundaira, Lasting perhaps as much as 70 years, it acquired the name by which it was formerly was known, Laur Mor Dona Daira. After the re-establishment of the convent, 
1615, the manuscript reverted to the Franciscans and there was consulted by Oclera in 1629. It appears to have remained there until at least the end of that century. The somewhat illiterable note written on page uh, 270 refers to a lector named Ofaha, again, another uh, strong Galway name. And if Jennings is correct, he may be identical with the Parig Ofaha, lector of, lector of theology, who was guardian of the college from 1699 to 1700, handout 14. But there's one other query that arises from O'Claire's comment. He refers to having taken this text, which treats of the life of Calloch, from a history that deals with the war in Connacht, called the Great Book of Dondaira, handout 15. It is not clear which Connacht war O'Claire had in mind. There were many. But one that would have stood out was the Great Schism of 1384 that occurred on the death uh, from the Black Plague of Ruadi O'Connor, Ruadi O'Crohud, and this resulted in the House of O'Crohud splitting into the O'Connor Don and the O'Connor Row factions, with various Connacht families taking different sides, the Burks of Clan Rickard and of Mayo finding themselves in opposing camps. The Annals of the Four Masters, which O'Claire had helped to compile a few years before he visited uh, Kinelechen, noted that war broke out among all the Connacht men as a result of this, and it brought great destruction on its account. But in fact, internecine strife between the two, two branches of the Burks was already long in train before the events of 1384. Peace between the Burks was established for a while in 1386, when Mac William Eachtruch, the northern family, yielded to Clan Rickard by entering his house. This, of course, was shortly before the time Gilda Issa Mac Irvishe wrote the copy of Cahrain Kella, now in YBL. And as O'Claire viewed the Cahrain through the lens of the Connacht War, it raises the intriguing possibility that Gilda Issa took a text, then almost 200 years old, which glorified a saint of the northern Iachrach at the expense uh, of his southern kinsmen. Uh, you see the... Um, the uh, MacWilliam Burks on the, uh, the left-hand side and the Eochre on the right. Southern Kinsley, he modernised it and repurposed it to suit the circumstances of his day in which the old enmity between the northern and southern Eochre was replaced by a more recent dispute between those who had eclipsed them. The Anglo-Norman MacWilliam Burks now split into northern and southern factions who were at, at war with each other. This, however, is an area of speculation that is at a remove from the Liao Brack and it's probably best left to be explored on another occasion. Thank you.